my people, my people, it is time to record the Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A show. Rocky, you, what time is it, pal? What time are we kicking off here? 6.17 p.m. My cat says, staring out the window, sun going down, getting ready to fly to Southern California, flying into Santa Ana tomorrow night, Wednesday night. Uh, last flight out here out of San Jose into Santa Ana. We'll stay overnight there. And then in the morning, Thursday morning, head to All-American Racers and see Evie Gurney, Justin, Alex Gurney, her sons, and some great friends there who, because of COVID and because of a number of things, I just have not been able to see them for a couple of years. So can't wait to get to AAR and see stuff and get some updates on some things and if i'm lucky maybe do a little hashtag mp show me video or two then i'm gonna blast out of aar do that 30-ish minute drive to the track and hopefully get there around noon and then i tell you <laughs> let me uh tab over here no i don't even have that open yet but uh on the hashtag mp show me's that i want to do at least oh i think we're seven or eight deep uh there might be more i don't know uh we'll see what comes to mind and what y'all send in for ideas so um yeah, let me count one two three four five six uh maybe seven eight nine yeah could be as many as ten uh so i'll do my best one of the fun things about this little impromptu video series i've been doing since st pete just with my phone and that is you walk around and you see stuff and you go oh yeah do that so along with your ideas uh we'll certainly hope to entertain you and educate you and provide you some uh technical insights on the indycar side also maybe a little bit on the imsa side since the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Series will be there as well. What else? IMSA GTP, historic GTP cars will be there. Planning to do some in-car with Zach Brown, uh, McLaren Racing CEO, my friend Patrick Long, uh, and also who else? Tom Long. So I got double longs going on here in uh, one of the Mazda prototypes. So genuinely cannot wait. So a lot of stuff to do once I get there on Thursday. Go do a bunch of little videos in the paddock. Uh, what else am I going to do? Going to introduce a driver to a team who wants to really uh, drive for that team. So try and do that super privately. And what else? What else? Get over to the uh, the historic GTP cars. Try and get some cameras stuck in there and ready for their on-track session Friday morning uh bail out of there around five on thursday and head over to the long beach hilton where the road racing drivers club of which i am a member which is pretty amazing the rrdc is holding a dinner honoring rick mears the rocket himself and so we'll hopefully have uh, another show me or two from there they always bring some really cool cars of the person uh, who's being honored so anyways and then it's just a lot of friends a lot of friends get to uh, have a couple drinks with fellowship with then go have dinner listen to bobby rahal president of the rdc do his best david letterman impression interview the uh the good old rocket and uh yeah get back to uh get back to the hotel i don't know 10 30 or so and then the whole party kicks off for real friday morning so just a little uh, rundown of what the next, I don't know, 48-ish hours are going to be like, but it's going to be pretty darn amazing. Two other quick things to mention. Uh, I have added a number of new stickers to good old MarshallPruittPodcast.com. Uh, a lot of them show stickers, a few of them other special uh, stickers and whatnot. I think I have quite a few more that I still need to add. Don't know if that's going to get done before I leave for Long Beach, but I'm hoping by the time we record this next week, I'll have all of them there and can say, please go and take a look on the merchandise page on marshallpruittpodcast.com. And if you see anything that you like, please take it home. Uh, everything you order not only 
helps the show, but basically my quest to buy my wife a house as quickly as possible. Uh, yes, believe it or not, selling stickers, some of the memorabilia that I've put up there, and I have a ton more to post as well. Um, all that stuff, honestly, just goes towards helping us. Last little thing for you, been putting some effort into uploading some of them, their videos to my YouTube account, which does not get used a whole bunch, but it's going to get used a lot more. Spent last weekend many hours organizing a bunch of external hard drives and pulling videos from, I don't know, the last 15 plus years, maybe even longer that I've shot, organized them by year onto one eight terabyte of external hard drive. And I know that I have a lot more I need to uh, continue this process with, but nonetheless, I uh, found a bunch of stuff that I filmed back in the day for speed. Uh, who knows where and what, but just been sitting there. And so I'm going to make an effort to bring some of those retro video clips back to life. And so as part of that, Got a couple that should be going up here. One of them, a little humorous bit between Will Power and James Hinchcliffe back at IndyCar Spring Training at Barber in 2013. Got a couple of Le Mans tech features I did my very first uh, visit to Le Mans, I believe it was, uh, one 2007. And, well, that was my first year there, but maybe the next one was 2008. I'm not sure, but just going to keep going back, trying to... Uh, Bring these videos forward, these retro things that I've shot for your entertainment and amusement. So if you get a chance, uh, I don't have a ton of subscribers because I've never made an effort uh, to improve this, but maybe you can help me. Uh, just really simple, youtube.com slash Marshall Pruitt. So if you pay a visit there, uh, I hope you're going to find some stuff that you like, and I am really dedicated to adding a lot more here whenever possible. Last little note associated with this. I've also uploaded every hashtag MP show me uh, to the tech page there, the tech little subcategory that I've created. Uh, and so there's 13 episodes from the first two races. St. <laughs> Pete and Texas, 13 so far. And yeah, uh, I love doing them. They're not necessarily crazy easy, but I can get those done pretty quickly. So that's why I'm going to keep charging in this direction. But uh, you can still see them on my at Marshall Pruitt Twitter handle. And I think I uploaded most to my at Marshall.Pruitt Instagram profile as well. But nonetheless, if you do visit youtube.com slash Marshall Pruitt, hit the racing tech category, you will find all of them that I've done so far and soon as I get home from each race, I will upload the latest. So that's what I got for you. Let's say a big thanks to you and all the questions that you have sent in. Huge thank you as well to our man, Jim Kaiser, who puts them together for me. And thank you for all the positive feedback on shifting the format of this show to an hour or less, barring the big events and or things that pop off and go crazy and warrant some overtime conversation. Will that be required after Long Beach? I don't know. It's rarely boring. So let's see. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get Ed Jones coming back to spear anybody uh, at the hairpin. But anyways, uh, appreciate the feedback. And I'm going to keep doing this at around about an hour each week. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. So who... As we roll in a little bit of music bed here, who are we going to first? Andrew Miller says, what's the primary difference between 2021 when we have, uh, we've had half attendances, but an oversold Indy 500 entry list in 2022, when we're going to have full attendance at Indy and a bigger purse, but we're stuck at 32. He says, yes, I read your article. Explain it to me like I'm four. Um, all right, Andrew. So the real answer here is it's your fault uh i spoke with roger penske and doug bowles they said andrew miller you know what you did okay you know what you did all right so we got another one here from jj gertler our good pal 
Uh, I'll roll this into yours as well, Andrew. We've got a couple here that's, uh, that are all related. Uh, you say you're puzzled, JJ, reading the story about being unable to get that 33rd car on the grid. You mentioned some people do have Speedway cars, aren't doing anything with them, but are also aren't leasing them out. Is that a matter of their price not being met? These cars uh, that are maybe being held for somebody's museum collection? says, I guess I don't understand having one of these pro- specialized tools and not using it or letting it be used. <sighs> so let's go with the overarching item, which does also fit into JJ's specific one about chassis. So for those who don't know, and I would hope that's very few of you, because, man, I sure have written a lot of words about this over the last month plus on goodoldracer.com. few different things here. Uh Before we get to the problems, let's talk about the positive that has created the situation. So we have our traditional 11 rows of three, 33 entries for the Indy 500. Last year, 22-ish full-time cars. I know that there was some sharing going on, could be 24-ish at a lot of rounds, Sometimes it expanded even more when we had some extra entries, got us up to, what, 26, 27, something like that. But if you look at the real, true, full-time, solid first race to the last race, nothing broken in between, again, it was a decent car count, but it was not an insane car count. So as a result, you have a number of teams with the personnel availability, chassis availability, and the overall willingness to expand a bit for the month of May. Maybe we're a two-car team and we're accustomed to running three at Indy, but hey, uh, entry list is a little bit light. We could probably get some good money off of somebody. Let's, Let's go for four. And that's maybe a little bit more than what I want, but hey, um, we can do it. If I think about the difference this year, it's we're at 26 full-time cars. And I realize we're talking about seven Indy 500 vacancies, if you want to put it that way. If we are carrying 26 full-timers into the event, if we also factor in the amount of extra entries that some of those teams are accustomed to running, Air McLaren SP adding one, AJ Foyt adding one, uh, Andretti's kind of sort of wanted to, Marco's coming in, right? Uh, but even on top of that, but you know they're going up one, as expected with Marco. Uh, Ganassi is going up one to accommodate Tony Kanaan. Um, Carpenter expanding. Um, you look at some of the expansion parts, realize that there are a couple teams that also are are downsized by one entry this year. But if you look at those who are adding in an extra entry on top of their now expanded full-time programs, that vacancy in terms of people and willingness and time and chassis, that's been eaten into quite a bit, Andrew. So, again, with fewer full-time entries last year, the willingness to take on more was there. And I should say the year before and the year before. Now that we have 26 full-timers and we're expecting that to get up to 28, who knows, 29 uh, at some rounds, just the general willingness to put extra cars in the field has been definitely decreased. And so that's big, somewhat fuzzy, but factual thing. You then start to look at the, okay, well, if we're putting more people to work full-time, some of those now are people, if not many of those, are now people who were our indie-only crew. We've spun those up to full-time, Uh, or they've gone to work for someone else full-time, well, you now have a bit of a deficit in terms of veteran, knowledgeable, and and 
super capable crew to run an extra car. It's not that you couldn't cobble some people together. If you had to go search and find an, Hey, this person hasn't done it in, in a decade, but they're willing to come back. Hey, my buddy, he's a great NASCAR cup tire changer, but you know, uh, you probably get him or her for the weekend. And again, you could cobble things together, but for the vast majority of the teams that we're talking about, Andrew, these aren't cobble it together type folks. It's either top shelf, hundred percent quality or nothing. You then look at Chevy and Honda that are willing to supply a decent number of cars, but knowing that they're already not fully saturated, but heavily saturated for the full season thing we keep talking about, knowing that we're not looking at, hey, we got a lot of cars we need to get into the show to fill that field to 33, but instead, yeah, 26 full-timers, you, you throw in that extra carpenter, you throw in that extra uh, Ganassi, you throw in that extra Aero McLaren SP. Where are we at already? We're at 29. Throw in that Marco Andretti, we're at 30. Like, hey, throw in that extra Foyt, we're at 31. Again, uh, just counting things up a little bit here and I might be off of my numbers. Please forgive me if I am, but you can see how with a pretty solid amount of cars already committed, how a Chevy or Honda would be somewhat choosy about who they might want to work with. Now I would say both are definitely willing to help. One of them will certainly help get us to 33. It's going to be Chevy. Uh, but this isn't the normal case of like, all right, there's a lot of cars needed to get to 33 and therefore we're maybe going to provide leases and let folks pay for those leases who, if we had our druthers might not be representing our brand. Um, that's just something else to keep in mind. So really getting down to the situation here, closing this topic, uh, this aspect of the topic with JJ's mention about chassis. There's just a lot of protectionism that I see going on. I mentioned that there was an effort put together, came as far as they could, just waiting for the budget, which fell through, uh, two teams were willing to provide a chassis. Now, these are teams that would not provide chassis to others who I assume were there and asked. And in this case, it came down to relationships. In general, though, the, the cases are somewhat unique in every instance, JJ. Ricardo Juncos has been as consistent as he can i've asked him to the point of him getting frustrated about how many times dude will you run a second car dude will you run a second car no 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 he's got <laughs> three four i don't know how many speedway uh cars that he's capable of putting on the track if he wanted to he does not want to uh he is more interested in putting together the best single car effort possible with his brand new team partner co-owner Brad Hollinger. So you take that JJ, for example, and then the fact that, well, why would he want to help someone get in the show? And what if someone else gets in the show? Uh, I'm sorry, on the entry list. And all of a sudden we're at 34, 35, knowing that he wants his rookie Callum. I lot to do his absolute best. Why would he want to put his rookie driver at risk of being on the bubble? or possibly getting bumped because he decided to take a whatever modest amount of cash to lease one of his cars. I think you're going to find a lot of that uh, elsewhere from the teams that have those extra and unused cars. Team Penske is a perfect example, not so much of the fear of getting bumped. They just don't let their cars go. If you think about last year with Peretta Autosport, JJ, that was actually a Hunko's car that was being leased. Uh, Ricky wasn't competing in the Indy 500. So 
with a Hunkos uh, Chevy Ready Delar DW12 uh, prepped by Penske. That's the car they used. It was leased, and it went back to Ricky afterwards. That wasn't a Penske car. Uh, Roger does not make his cars, at least in the modern era here, he does not make them available to anybody. Um, even though it would seem like a really easy no-brainer. Hey, the car Simon Pagano drove last year. Uh, it's currently doing nothing. Why don't you make that available to some of the folks saying, geez, we've got everything else. Could you just make a chassis available? Well, that's not their thing. So I wish I could say, guys, that there's one single thing. It's a bunch of factors, and they seem to change a little bit from team to team. We'll mention the the true bottom line here is someone is going to have to accept that they're going to need to do something to help IndyCar that they don't want to do. In the best interest of IndyCar, somebody is going to have to be very displeased to help them get to that traditional number of 33. Why does it matter? It doesn't in the the greater scope of things, but it is a traditional number. It is something that within the racing world is kind of a known thing, the field of 33. And beyond just hitting that number for the consistency of having that number being there every year, it's kind of hard to say, hey, we're growing. Things are great and prosperous and all kinds of new and positive things are happening, but we can't even fill our biggest race. That's the issue here. That's the the vanity side. It's also the, the practicality side. Like I said, if you're trying to court sponsors, hey, Netflix, please give us a drive to survive IndyCar. When you can't even fill your field, it's really hard to position yourself as being worthy of such things. So that's why the effort's being made. That's why IndyCar is squeezing a couple folks to try and uh, see if they will be the ones to help. And I can tell you, once somebody says yes, I think that deal's going to get done pretty quickly, most likely with Stefan Wilson, Cusick Motorsports, and it's a wrap. If other folks want to try and enter afterwards, great. But in terms of IndyCar going out of their way, I think once they get this, once they get someone, maybe even this week to say yes, yeah, I don't think it's going to be long before, uh, before we learn who it is and what is happening. Uh, why don't we go to Kurt Pose? How you doing, Kurt? Hope to see you this weekend, by the way. I says, with regards to teams not having personnel free to support additional 500 entries, could the lack of engineering talent be in part due to low any lights numbers uh, the past few seasons? Uh, it is the top developmental step for crews, uh, or is it just maybe fairly easy to pull folks from elsewhere? Eh, I don't want to say no completely, Kurt, but yeah, this really isn't it so much. What you find a lot of times is talented people coming out of college with a degree, uh, some sort of engineering or physics or math or whatever, who like motor racing and go straight to an IndyCar team. Uh, More on the mechanical side where you would think someone would work up that ladder to get to IndyCar. But even then, if it's somebody that is strong, with their mechanical aptitude. An IndyCar team is going to be willing to bring them on and train them and have them work up their own, quote, ladder within the building uh, and get them ready as quickly as possible. So it's another thing you will hear a fair amount of teams mention, Kurt. Uh, It's great when you have somebody where you go, wow, they've won championships as a chief mechanic or whatever, USF 2000, Indy Pro, Indy Lights, great pedigrees there. Come on in. Uh, we'll, we'll tune you up. You also hear folks say, look, if we have our, our druthers and the man or woman knocking on the door knows something, has some aptitude to work with, we'd rather just show them how to do it from scratch. That way we know we're not really having to break any bad habits. So, yeah. Uh, I think it's a little bit of an albatross here, Kurt, on the um, 
Indy Lights angle, also knowing that uh, seemingly we've got two teams right now that are putting most of the entries on the grid, but at least for the last couple of years, it's been Andretti Autosport uh, populating about half of the grid. Um, you know, they already have uh, a well-established pipeline there. So uh, just think this is more a case of creativity being needed among IndyCar teams. Mike Shank spent, uh, spent a little bit of time talking about that on Monday on our hashtag racing family show of like, look, we're going to go to, to high schools and technical colleges and whatever. Like we're not being picky. It's the, the quality and the capabilities that we're searching for. Not so much the, well, show me that you've spent eight years training here and there. And then we might consider you like back in the day for real, there was a true hierarchy and true, uh, class rules kind of thing hey these are the big cool ones and and if you come from this area of either automotive world or the racing world you aren't cool and there's just all right a real pecking order there's no ability for teams to be that precious right now um they need folks badly and they certainly need folks as quickly as they can get them so that's why I think, Kurt, I don't really look at the road to Indy and whatever diminished car counts in whatever classes in recent years as being the source of issues, uh, the way things are working right now. And as I hear more and more from teams, uh, they're not putting up barriers to, you got to be cool and you must have done this for us to consider it. Like, <laughs> do you know metric from standard? All right, well, that's uh, that's a great starting point. Let's... Let's see what we can do with you. Doug Thompson, uh, you're going to close this thread for me. It's a second time question asker. First time was a long time ago. Says, wishing you, your wife, Shabrell, and the cats the best. Thank you, Doug. Uh, you got a fun little uh, mention here about Roger Rager, the man who pulled a uh, V8 engine out of a school bus and did indeed make the Indy 500 and did fairly well. Uh, Roger passed somewhat recently, unfortunately. You mentioned uh, your, your sources say he's going to be pulling another school bus motor out and stuffing it into the back of the DW12, uh, all to help get us to 33 entries. Um, you mentioned here that we seem to have some issues getting to at least 33, if not just a little bit over, more often than you think we should, and I can't disagree. You also say, I understand that Chevy and Honda lose a little bit of money on each lease. Um, say, how about a lower-cost non-lease, like a stock block engine option? like that Chevy, um, Roger Rager motor, um, option just for the 500, uh, says homologated. So it's competitive, but not to the detriment of Chevy and Honda says, I'm sure there's a zillion reasons why this is a non-starter, but maybe could help the Indy only entries alleviate the annual pressure to get us enough entries. Uh, yeah, couple things here. A non-manufacturer engine is not something that IndyCar would have an interest in beyond the making horsepower and making the cars go standpoint. Uh, Chevy and Honda and any future engine partners um, and recent past engine partners have been business partners with the series, have invested money, sponsor events, buy commercials. They are plugged into every level of the business. And so... I can't see IndyCar having any interest in a non-badged workaround stock block engine. Just coming back to this uh, that we discussed a moment ago, Chevy will absolutely provide another engine or two if there were folks with the money or with a chassis or with whatever it is that they're currently missing. Uh, Chevy be right there. Honda as well. They only have one lease left, an 18th engine, and... You know, I don't think they'd just give it to anybody. They'd want it to be someone interesting, someone that might bring in a unique story or, or spotlight to uh, the 500. But getting an engine is not the issue. Uh, for some, it's been they don't have the budget. So honestly, no different than probably you and I. As I mentioned, others, it's chassis. Other, it's people, a team. Um, so I hear you, but this actually hasn't been the issue if there's been a problem, it's been the limited number of years where we've had an oversubscription. B 
beyond 33. And there are some folks who would love to be there, but uh, Chevy and Honda said, hey, we're tapping out at 18 apiece, uh, no more than 36 cars in the field. So if we were to get to a point to where there are enough entrants capable and willing to get us to 38, 40, or whatever else, that would be the place where I'd say, okay, we really do need to come up with a solution. But as you mentioned here towards the end of your note, you say you're still trying to get used to the idea of an engine named Gazoo. Yes, so hopefully uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing, um, hopefully get GR here involved. Uh, and would Graham Rahal, would GR be forced to use a GR engine? Things I am curious about, Doug. Uh, Jameen Tuttle, crazy start to the season with some people needing a really good finish this weekend, or at least by Barber before their season starts to look like a bust. Says, I'm thinking Aaron McLaren SP, Connor Daly, Alexander Rossi. Am I missing anyone? Is it too early to be concerned? Another note, drove through Nashville last weekend and saw two billboards for the race. Good to see the promotion efforts are still going strong. That is awesome to hear, Jameen. So, funnily enough, uh, I don't know, by the time you're listening to this, you might be reading a story that covers off a lot of these topics of, hey, I know we're only getting into the third race of the year, but things are going to start picking up. Uh, we are going to hit Barber quickly, then we're going to hit Indy Road Course, Indy 500, Detroit, etc. The ball's about to start rolling fast, hard, etc. You need to get yourself in proper shape here. Because if you don't, oh boy, I do not envy you. So got a little story about that. You've covered off some of those names. Ray Hall, Letterman Landing and Organization is the one I would throw into the mix here with you. Um, Graham's 12th in the standings, top representative. Can't lay the blame at his feet, right? If not for Devlin DeFrancesco in the issue at Texas, Elio and Graham aren't crashing. Um, so he would certainly be higher up, but that doesn't change the fact that whether you had a really good practice qualifying in first half of the race or first three quarters, they really truly only count where you finish. And so Air McLaren SP is in the same place that I would say Andretti Autosports at, uh, that Ray Hall is at. Uh, maybe, I mean, you mentioned Carpenter with Daly. Uh, I mean, there are quite a few teams so far where we could say, hey, you've shown great potential, but the place you are in when they wave that checkered flag, that's the thing that we need to fix. The finish is where we need to focus. It's not like they haven't focused, but we got to protect ourselves in some way to get a proper finish, to leave Long Beach in a stronger position. So the Andretti team, I would say, stands out heavily. This is, again, in what I've written so far. Michael Andretti's one note to me about what do you need this year? What's the goal? What's the mindset for Andretti Autosport to become a stronger championship contending force? He said two words, no mistakes. If you look at Alexander Rossi's two opening races, a strategery mistake at St. Pete and a car prep mistake, uh, error being exposed at Texas out almost immediately. His season's just as, as poor as it could possibly be to start. Colton Herta, two mistakes as well. A short fill at St. Pete forced him to dial way back on the throttle, could not attack to close the race, had to make insane fuel numbers to get to the finish. Without that, and what, he finished fourth, so that's not terrible, but the guy doesn't show up aiming for fourth. What could have been, who knows, a win or a second or something like that. A simple mistake took that away. Texas running, what was the eighth or something like that? A lot of folks in that general area kind of biding their time, waiting for the latter stages of the race and loses a lap because of a problem changing the left front tire. Um, 
I don't think Romain has had any grand problems that jump out, uh, at least if I'm thinking at St. Pete. I know strategery um, maybe wasn't everything that he had, had hoped for there. But if I look at what happened for him uh, at St. Pete, fifth was, again, good, okay, you name it. Oh, boy. Texas? Yeah, not so great by any means. And so we have situations with the two drivers who have proven to be the top and dready performers with one good but not as great as it should have been finish and a pair of terrible finishes. You then have the third member of that team who we would hope and should be right there with them in Rossi who has had two terrible finishes and then even rookie driver Devlin DeFrancesco even more terrible finishes so Colton is P7 Romain is P10 in the standings and from there you pretty much just stare at the bottom Alexander is 27th and Devlin is 28th they are the two bottom names in the standings for who have completed both races so I think Aaron McLaren SP is going to sort themselves out pretty quickly here. I don't know if they're going to be on pole at St. I'm sorry, at Long Beach based on how far they were, how off they were at St. Pete and how off my mouth is. I don't know if I'm expecting pole and dominance, but I am expecting something stronger. So that would be good for them. Andretti, I think, had great capabilities at St. Pete that didn't necessarily get shown in the final result. So I think they are going to have, they should have a damn good weekend and put the first two races behind them. Uh, truly, hey, that that's in the rearview mirror. We're back on track. Uh, the Ray Hall side, I'm staring at Saturday. Where is Graham? Where is Jack? Where is Christian? I think they should be pretty gar- pretty darn good. Uh, then you kind of got these teams by the name of Penske and Ganassi who have not been polite or waiting around for people, Jameen. So, oh, yeah, lots of folks coming in with needs. And will the two teams that have been dominant so far give them any air to breathe? All right, let me, uh, let me roll forward here just a little bit and see what I can find that might be of interesting of interest for you. Uh, Greg Marrier says, MP, great job on the Racing Family Show. Um, covering the racing and, and, and the spotter communication process. Kind of you to say that was all my co-host, the Chris Wheeler, says, and IndyCar, who else is in the racer, uh, the driver's ear? Does the information gathered from the race engineer, fuel map, target numbers, tire wear data, etc.? Um does that all go through the person on a pit box? There's several people with the ability to talk to the racer. I imagine the team goes through many strategy options prior to the race, but as the race unfolds, besides reminders and using cockpit tools uh, and whatnot, how much of this specific info does the racer need to process? Awesome question. All depends on the racer. As you might have heard uh, on that spotter, the clearish spotter show, some drivers who want constant information, some who tell you to shut up, they're work, working it out or figuring out themselves. Some are in the middle. Um, this one's too hot. This one's too cold. It's a little little Red Riding Hood scenario here, uh, Greg. So I know that <laughs> I've been in scenarios where I've had a driver yell for everyone to shut up because there were too many voices coming at them. Um, oh. This is something where, honestly, it's just down to the individual driver. So uh, there was a point, I think, in 1997 or 98 with our TKM Genoa team uh, with Greg Ray where he just wanted to hear the spotter and someone telling him to pit uh, whenever it was time for fuel. That was it. He did not want to hear anything else, shouted at us, uh, told me to shut up, 
told uh, team owner, co-owner, whatever strategist, Tom Knapp to shut up. Um, yeah, so I certainly piped down. And in that situation, because we, Tom was not a big talker, wasn't necessarily looking at all the aspects of what was going on in the race. So that's why he and I were both on the radio to Greg with me looking at fuel strategy and whatever, whatever. Um, so we really boiled that down to just the spotter and then pit, pit, pit uh, from me or, or Tom on the timing stand. And that was it. In a normal scenario, it is the strategist, the race strategist, and the spotter. And if you were talking about Indianapolis, where there's often two spotters, well, uh, then it'd be uh, two spotters and the strategist. The race engineer, the race uh, assistant engineer, you name it, might be feeding or would be feeding things to the strategist to share. Um, and unless there's some sort of detailed thing that somebody has that knowledge and needs to download it to the driver, right? Maybe there's some sort of flip the switch and turn that to fix some sort of issue. You might have somebody else go across the radio, but again, it's very, you know, situation specific compared to, Oh, the, uh, the data guy is just going to fire up the radio and start talking to the driver. So, um, but yeah, keep it to a minimum, but certainly what volume of information is shared, the style and when it's shared super, super custom to, uh, to the driver in question, uh, Austin Sutton, you say, Hey, MP, how old are your cats? And what is your favorite snack? Well, Rocky, who is sleeping on my right is 10 and Rosie, who I think is, um, on the bed, uh, cuddled up with my wife is eight and their favorite snack is food at all times so um hopefully that's of interest for y'all robbie bergeron we're going to start winding down your question here says marshall after seeing f1 build so much excitement for their new car isn't it frustrating that indycar isn't taking this year delay on engines to get a new chassis design so they can build excitement for a new car, new, more powerful engines, etc. says to me, it's reminiscent of cart dithering about weather and what to do formula wise. in the early two thousands says, I think Roger Penske needs to tell the team owners that 2024 may be expensive, but it's the best for the good of the sport to grow. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder Robbie where this is going to come from. I know that at least when I speak to Jay Fry IndyCar president, there is zero urgency to get a new chassis going knows that it needs to happen in the near future, but not the immediate future. Um, I have expressed this to Roger more than once and I will keep doing so in the hopes that he takes on that opinion and turns it into action. Because if Roger says new cars are needed by 2024, there will be new cars by 2024. I'll just leave that there for now, Robbie. I could add more, but um, I'll just leave that there for now. <laughs> uh, yeah, if this is Roger's belief, then it is IndyCar's belief. How do we get it there? I mean, I can tell you how unimportant I am because I've said it and it's done nothing. I've written about it and it's done nothing. So we know where I fit in the chain of importance, but uh, I'll keep being that little pesky mosquito in their ear, maybe, and who knows. Uh, let's go to Jason Hatfield. How you doing, Jason? Great question, by the way, on uh, on the Monday Hashtag Racing Family Show. Just still can't get that one out of my head. Uh, it says, IndyCar may need a new oval. Would it be possible for IndyCar to make agreements with several tracks and then ask fans to place a, quote, reserve to purchase a seat uh, order with them? Uh, you say, if enough seats are sold to allow IndyCar or the track to move forward, then it happens. If the fans want the track back, show it by reserving a seat, like Michigan, Milwaukee, Phoenix, etc. No money changes hands until enough reserves are met. Probably too convoluted of an idea, but dot, dot, dot. Uh, you know, I don't know if we need to go as far as doing that. I, I think 
I would love to hear just an announcement. No, that's a terrible fucking answer. What is my problem tonight? I don't know if it's too convoluted. I do like the idea. You know, doing some form of fan poll and would you go if we went back there? You know, I. It's always good to get useful information to find out whether there would be a reason. If going to Michigan receives 90% no, then, you know, don't bother. But I do like your idea, which is making it a little bit more real. All right, no money changes hands, but hey, if you really are interested, reserve a seat, um, leave a credit card, right? Got to leave your credit card info for it. Um, that way it's not effectively the same thing as just a poll, right? If you're going to reserve to purchase a seat, but there's no commitment beyond just typing your name and, uh, and that's it, uh, I don't know what the number is. I don't know if it's a, a $50 commitment or hundred or something but i do like the idea maybe that's been done before i haven't heard of it hadn't thought of it for sure but that's the issue right everyone says not everyone but too many people say, oh yeah bring back this and then the thing gets brought back and not a lot of people show up um real commitment i like your approach so in my brain in the IndyCar series that I run, the virtual one that only I know about, uh, it's not too convoluted. Would it be that way for the actual series that exists? I don't know, Jason, but uh, we can dream. Uh, let's see. J underscore Patrick underscore 12 from Reddit. says, hey, Marshall, I'm a relatively new IndyCar fan and love your podcast and the Racing Family Show. Well, that's sweet of you. Uh I've never really watched Oval Racing. Did watch the X-Bell 375 at Texas a few weeks ago and enjoyed it. But had a lot of trouble figuring out what was going on relative to, say, a road course race. What are your tips for watching and understanding an oval track uh, event for fans that don't have a background watching ovals? Oh, that's a great, great question here. J underscore Patrick underscore 12. I find it needs to be a multi-screen experience, especially if you want to really grasp what is going on. So NBC Sports seems to be doing a better job of making their broadcasts more informational with the data they provide on the screen. There's a unique thing that happens on not all ovals, but many ovals, the big, big ones. Uh, it doesn't happen so much, but some of the sh faster, shorter ovals, even a, a speedway like Texas, uh, you have a situation where pit stops really do monkey with the running order. If we're talking a road course. Someone's running in fifth at Road America. Uh, they pit. They're going to come out wherever they come out, 12th, 15th, 16th. They're not going to lose a lap. And when whomever's in front of them pits, they're going to more or less get their positions back and fall back to where they were. Got it. Things can be a little bit funky with how a oval race like a Texas can play out. Iowa, a gateway and such, where... Again, barring some sort of wacky thing on a road course when normal pit stops happen under green, things kind of just all cycle back to everything being normal. Maybe your favorite driver gains or loses a position or two, but again, everything falls back into place for the most part. Ovals can be very different, and so I think that's why it can be very confusing for folks who are new to ovals to figure out what in the world's going on. In some cases, you will have drivers whose tires are destroyed sooner than the others, and they need to pit. And they pit off sequence, and they plummet and fall way the heck behind. Maybe lose a lap waiting for others to pit, then they'll get their lap back. Uh, but if there's a yellow, if there's a caution, they're kind of sort of screwed and down a lap. Uh, might try and get it back by uh, not pitting when others do and cycling around and 
just sharing some of this, how things can get confusing on an oval where you go, wait a minute, that person or that cluster of drivers were running towards, you know, the farthest part of the top 10. And now all of a sudden they're way back near the top 20 and what's going on here. Pit stop timing and potentials for yellows can certainly have a big effect on things. And also, like I said, could be the tires going off. Someone could be doing extreme fuel savings so they can go longer than the others. This is why a multi-screen experience is something that I would suggest so that you can watch your normal broadcast however you watch that. But if you have, whether it's your phone, tablet, or whatever, to pull up IndyCars, timing and scoring, IndyCar.com, that's going to help you a lot, I think in seeing who is doing what road courses eh, i don't know if if pit strategy is as much of a thing you really need to burrow into and stay on top of as you do on ovals so that's why i would say going to that second screen so you can see when someone pitted last who's just pitted it helps you to understand aha well that's why whomever is now 17th they pitted two laps ago that might not get shown on the broadcast right not everything gets shown that helps you break down what is going on if you see somebody uh, they say that their last pit stop was 50 laps ago on an oval you're gonna understand that okay they're probably getting close to something right they're probably not too far away from running on empty and needing to come in. That's also where I would say pay attention to the lap times or speeds in this case. And you might see a driver. We saw this happen at Texas with Arenas VK, for example. Man, like gangbusters flying. And then started to fall back all of a sudden. Uh, Was it the car? Did it just become terrible? No, actually a need for him to save fuel and you go "Uh aha this is why somebody went from second to whatever position it might have been even the lead back to wherever take a look at the lap speeds you go ah got it i see the leader is doing i'll say a 220 mile an hour an average per lap and you'll keep getting the lap updates every lap the speed that they're doing it'll tell you they'll increase the count lap since last pit stop or whatever it might be that second screen experience using the indycar.com timing and scoring information that's where i think you really do grasp ovals or will be able to because you can understand ah this person who was fast is now running 213s all of a sudden and ooh, it's been a while since they have pitted I can see that they're needing to save fuel to get to the end. Um, You might see somebody who's pitted not too long ago. Maybe they're halfway through uh, a fuel stint, but you see their speeds come down. Maybe handling is an issue. Maybe they don't have the setup right and the tires are getting burned off the car. Some of these things. Then you understand, well, wait a minute. Why is so-and-so in the pits again? um aha okay maybe you who knows if you've seen or heard anything on the broadcast but if you're paying attention to who's rising and falling their lap speeds and have an idea for when they pitted last you're going to be able to break down a lot of stuff that might not come naturally to understanding or might not be described on the broadcast so that would be my suggestion uh ricky zagata you are one of our last questionnaires here, you say, how close are we to seeing NASCAR-style pit crew-only team members in IndyCar? Um, not? I don't, yeah. I, I can't think of any reason why that would change, Ricky, so maybe I'm missing something here. Uh, King Hero fan, penultimate questionnaire. As a fan, I understand TV dictates a lot of the schedule, and it's great that we're on Big NBC a lot, but these three-week breaks between races been rough with streaming and cord cutting as being an nbc even that big of a deal anymore is it worth sacrificing building an early season uh any early season momentum okay so what we're saying is 
let's leave a major network just so we could be on another network to get more i don't fully understand but that's okay i often don't fully understand here's the thing every year there's going to be some sort of extended break at some point in time of the year that folks don't like uh, it's because indycar does 16 17 maybe 18 races a year that's all teams can afford right now there's no money there's not enough money for teams to go to 1920 plus fill in some of these gaps so there's just no budget for teams to tack on a couple more races right now so inevitably we're going to get some of these breaks and it's a annual complaint imsa good lord huge annual complaint there were what six weeks between its season opener and the second round um some of the series that aren't able to put on 30 plus like nascar or 20 plus like f1 um this is part of the deal uh, we hope that we get back to prosperity to where we could do 20 plus like there were for slight stretches in time in the the cart era but yeah we're not there so leaving nbc going somewhere i mean none of these things are going to solve the problem that there's just not enough money um also the reason that teams get the money that they currently get from sponsors is because of the ratings generated by big nbc so uh if we really want to collapse indycar's economy we would cut bait with a major network and go to something smaller or something streaming and all to get more races even though you still have to have those people showing up with trucks and cameras and personnel so yeah um let's not collapse indycar's economy king hero fan uh last question here the flash 947 from reddit mp at the races that can't seem to fill out the grandstands do you think it'd be a good idea to give free tickets away to underrepresented local school kids let them talk to some of the engineers and drivers like the mexico formula e race did um with kind of a girls in motorsports type thing uh i feel like it could be a win-win here with indycar social media they can talk about how socially progressive they are create some future fans and engineers then the races can look more full and bump up the energy rather than coming across like the crowd doesn't want to be there not a bad idea at all uh for the events that need that help i don't know if the promoters who want every dollar possible um are going to love the idea of giving tickets away but maybe that's something to consider for those who don't have the crowds that they need maybe that's something that you do one or two weeks out from a race where you know traditionally you haven't been oversold they would know for sure where the ticket sales are at maybe that's something you can get local tv stations to come down and uh, cover and feature and have kind of a, a pre-event something with uh, little girls little boys teenagers whatever it might be high school grade school whatever uh, stem related stuff uh, school related stuff and there's a lot of cool things we can do and have done in this exact way for many years i do love the idea of how do we fix the looking like it's empty at some places uh, by maybe just trying to do a good thing and build future fans uh, future employees if they want to go into these disciplines uh, and earn a living doing that uh, i think we've got a lot of good ideas here the flash 947 on reddit so thank you for the final question thank you to all of you for listening we'll be back here next week with uh oh boy uh, we're going to see what Long Beach brings us. Is that a one-hour show? Is it an hour and a half? Is it two? I don't know. The race will tell us. But nonetheless, thanks to you all for the great questions you sent in. Thanks to Jim Kaiser for putting together the questions. Massive thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting us. If you do get a chance, YouTube slash Marshall Pruitt would greatly appreciate your subscribing there and checking out some of the videos. Uh, and yeah, more stickers coming to marshallpruittpodcast.com on a merchandise page. And that's all I got for you. I'll speak to you here shortly in Long Beach. <laughs>